everyone. Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac and the Movies, where we look at everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten, and the unforgettable. We did it. This is the last one. This is the final part of our journey through Volume 2 of the Grindhouse Experience from Fortune 5 DVD. It's been a fun ride, and we can only hope these final four films deliver. On to the movies. Extra, extra, read all about it. Phenomenal foils drug ring. Extra, extra, read all about it. Phenomenal foils drug ring. Phenomenal bus drug gang. Read all about it. Master criminal arrested. Phenomenal mystery growls. Phenomenal mystery growls. Masked man nuts drug racketeers. Police discover half a ton of heroin. Read all about it. Extra, extra, read all about it. Phenomenal foils drug ring. Extra, extra, read all about it. Read all about it. A boat is transporting heroin with a crew on high alert. Suddenly, they are attacked by the mysterious anti-hero, Phenomenal. Phenomenal takes out the entire crew, which are apprehended shortly after. The press are quick to publicize this hero's exploits. A museum is scheduled to display the bus of the Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun. We see a trio of thieves make their way past security and almost capture the bust before being stunned by the electric field protecting it. Turns out this was a test of the security systems on the part of Count Guy Norton. Unfortunately, the bust of Tutankhamun is a prize sought by Falco, a local crime boss. He hopes to steal the bust for his own wealth. Double crosses are plenty, as well as the involvement of Phenomenal. I would hazard to guess the Grindhouse audiences would not have cared much for Phenomenal. The pacing is way too slow, any action is few and far between, although the fight sequence in a woman's sauna would elicit laughs for its resemblance to the Adam West Batman show. It's a film that wasn't made with the 42nd Street audiences in mind. Phenomenal and the Treasure of Tutankhamun stands as a cash-in attempt on the short-lived popularity of Fumetti Neri. Translated into English from Italian, Fumetti Neri means black comics. Uh, Fumetti Neri itself is from Coronaca Nera, Black News. The protagonists of the Fumetti Neri were often supervillains or anti-heroes. The most obvious example would be Diabolic, created in 1962 and adapted to the screen by Mario Bava in 1968. One could argue the likes of Dr. Mabusa or even Snape Plissken as other examples of Fumetti Neri protagonists outside of Italian popular culture. Phenomenal marks the feature film directorial debut of Ruggiero Diodato. We previously name-dropped Diodato in the Atlantis Interceptors back in part two of our look at the Grindhouse Experience Volume 2, Episode 29. Diodato was also in the director's chair for Cannibal Holocaust from the Video Nasties of episode 19. Diodato doesn't have fond memories of working on Phenomenal. He was interviewed by Roberto Curti for the book Diabolica, Supercriminals, Superheroes, and the Comic Book Universe in Italian Cinema. When asked about Phenomenal, Diodato responded with he didn't give a shit about the film. If the ending was any indication...
reviews I've seen for Phenomenal, they all point to the same element as being the one positive for the film, the musical score by Bruno Nicolai. Nicolai made a decent career with his own musical scores, often for spaghetti westerns, giallo, erotic, and mysteries. He was often brought on as the conductor and musical director for the likes of Ennio Morricone, Luis Pakalov, and Nino Rota. Mauro Parenti plays the dual identity of Count Guy Norton and Phenomenal. He was also the producer of the film, partially funding it. Parenti's performance has some charm as Norton, but he is stiff in his posturing. He wasn't an actor and only got the lead role because he fronted money for the production. Gordon Mitchell plays the crime boss, Falco. With his over-the-top facial expressions, he's the most fun member of the cast to watch. Other than the emotes, he tries his best with the weak material presented to him. When the Steve Reeves films were all the rage in Italy, Mitchell took advantage and appeared in many of the sword and sandal films being produced. Keep an eye out for stuntman Rocco Lero in an uncredited role, as well as Maurizio Murli in the minor role of Pino. Diodato himself cameos as the guy on the bike with the bread. Phenomenal and the Treasure of Tutankhamun has little going for it. It feels like a low-energy effort from a director that would give us one of the most shocking films ever made. The cast offers that same low energy. Honestly, your best bet is to go on YouTube and listen to the musical score by Bruno Nicolai. to have invented a functioning time machine. At a public demonstration in Turkey, the professor agrees to take a skeptic and a local official on a trip to the past. The professor activates the machine and they go back to the fall of Constantinople. There, they see where the Byzantines hid the imperial treasure. The trio heads back into the present and the professor is hailed as a hero. With the time machine proven to be legitimate, various parties now want the time machine for themselves notably the Godfather. Little does the Godfather realize that his own daughter Agatha is sabotaging her father's drug empire. It is up to Marat, Atak, and Matrak, the three fantastic supermen, to keep the time machine out of the Godfather's hands. Three Supermen versus the Godfather, a.k.a. Supermenler, is the fifth film in the Three Fantastic Supermen series. This all started in 1967 and ended in 1986 with the three supermen in Santo Domingo. The series was a collection of co-productions between Italy and Turkey. 
With Coppola's Godfather being a monster success worldwide, why not pit a group of goofy superheroes against the head of organized crime? Oddly enough, the film was lost for a time. It was released theatrically in 1979, but didn't make it to home video until 2004. It may be the case that this version on the Grindhouse Experience Volume 2 is the only place to find this film. Turkey became a rich market for the Italian film industry. Amusing considering Turkey is notorious for their own knockoffs of commercially successful films, much like that of Italy. Why did Italy see Turkey as a market for their films and productions? The mid-1970s in Italy marked the rise in televisions. Theater grosses plummeted in Italy year after year as television became popular. Grindhouse audiences would have enjoyed this particular entry in the Three Fantastic Superman series. The action is frequent. The trio of Superman are a nice update on the Marx Brothers. The music score by Nico Fidenko would have gone over very well. There is a racy scene where the professor is given electroshock, only for him to become a horn dog and chase a scantily clad nurse around. It would raise eyebrows of the overly sensitive. Overall, the movie is actually a lot of fun. Director Italo Martinei was the producer of the series before taking the director's chair for three Superman of the West and continued for the rest of the series. Martinegi is also responsible for the editing of the film. He does a fine job of making a coherent film despite issues with the brightness and lighting of the film. Nico Fidenko provides the, a funky music score. The speedy tempo of certain scenes plays up the comedic elements of the action. But I love the sick baseline of the opening theme. Fidenko worked on the Black Emmanuel films with Laura Jemser and Zombie Holocaust, a.k.a. Dr. Butcher, M.D. Turkish actor Kunyet Arkin plays Murat, a CIA agent who is a reluctant ally to the Superman. Interesting is Arkin would play the Murat character in other films uh, in the neighborhood of 50 to 60. Aldo Conti is a veteran of the three Fantastic Superman series playing Atak. He was in the first film, but in the Harpo Marx role of Matrak. Aldo Sambrao plays the Godfather. He helped fund the film as well as uh, assisted with production in Turkey. Three Superman vs. The Godfather is a fun Italian-Turkey superhero co-production. The cast is having a blast. The Fidenko music score is great. Once you get past the flaws of the horrible transfer from VHS to DVD, it's actually worth it. of a stage performance, a group of hecklers disrupt the show. Two acrobats confront them and a fight breaks out. In the aftermath, the acrobats are blamed and fired. They go to live with their aunt until they can get back on their feet again. Unfortunately, a real estate developer 
wants to buy the land the aunt's house sits on. She repeatedly refuses the offers. Soon, the developer becomes aggressive and tries to muzzle her off of the property. The nephews must fend off the developer and they find an unlikely ally in a former associate of the developer. A grindhouse box set wouldn't be complete without a couple of chop sake kung fu hits. Yeah, just in those loud, psh, the guy goes, psh, it's a huge noise. That's right. It's always just three kung fu movies in a row. Just three, always three kung fu movies. <laughs> they make all those noises. Yeah. These movies were always favorites of the 42nd Street audiences. They were nothing like what American studios were releasing. Can you think of a fight from a movie made in the 1970s, made in America, that contains the kinetic, high-speed, high-impact energy that we see in Three Avengers? These films were almost made on an assembly line. They were cheap to make. They were easy to sell. People gave these movies a lot of money. One would be a fool not to take advantage of that easy supply and demand. There's not much to say with this film. You know what you're getting. I can enjoy these films every now and then. The only cast member that is worth mentioning is Bruce Lai. Lai was picked by Bruce Lee to be his successor, according to actor Paul L. Smith. We went everywhere. I went, I went to the, uh, the Far East and did uh, Return of the Tiger with Bruce Lai. And Bruce Lee's last film, he said, if I don't come back to this young man, you go find out who did it. Bruce Lai is the actor who he said that to and who went on to become a star in the Far East. Three Avengers is a typical Hong Kong kung fu film. You have the great action and amazing choreography. If this type of film is your thing, then you will definitely enjoy it. Lin Yud is a student that is drawn into a rebellion by his teacher. The uprising is against the Manchu government and the Qing dynasty. General Tian Ta suppresses the rebellion, but Yud manages to escape. Yud makes his way to a Shaolin temple. He is rejected at first, but the chief abbot takes mercy on Yud and brings him in. Yud takes on the name of San Ti and is trained in the 35 chambers of the Shaolin temple. After the training, San Ti is banished from the temple when he dares to suggest opening the temple for the general public so they can be trained and defend themselves. Now San Ti is training people and is going to have to contend with Tian Ta. Unlike the other Kung Fu entries that were part of the Grindhouse Experience box sets, this one is a Shaw Brothers production. When it comes to Hong Kong Kung Fu, the Shaw Brothers are the most famous studio. I've often seen the five deadly venoms frequently appear on lists of top kung fu films ever made. They work with Hammer for The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. The studios, <clears throat> the studio collaborated on an international co-production to make the three Superman against the Orient. One thing I have to respect for these films is that Hong Kong likes to pay respect to their folk heroes. There's no deconstruction. They don't tear them down. Fung Sayuk of Kung Fu Punch of Death from Volume 1 was one example. San Ti of Master Killer from Volume 2 is another. They forever respect their heroes. Gordon Liu plays the lead role of Liu Yud. Liu would be identified by fans of Tarantino's Kill Bill, where he played Johnny Moe of the Crazy Idiots and Pai Mei. As I said in Three Avengers, there isn't much to say about the chop genre. They're entertaining, action-packed films... 
Three Avengers was average, but pales in comparison to Return of the Tiger, which is still the best of the Kung Fu films in the Grindhouse Experience box sets. And that is the end of this trip through Grindhouse Experience Volume 2. Instead of doing a listing of only Volume 2 films, I want to do an ultimate listing of both box sets. So here is the ranking of the 40 films in the Grindhouse Experience sets. Number 40, Tortured Angels. Number 39, Women's Camp 119. 38, Mandinga. 37, The Bounty Man. 36, Mr. Deathman. 35, Slavers. 34, Coriolanus, Hero Without a Country. 33, Carthage in Flames. 32, Striker. 31, Phenomenal and the Treasure of Tutankhamen. 30, Master Killer. 29, Three Avengers. 28, The Atlantis Interceptors. 27, Three Men to Kill. 26, Deadly Jaws. 25, Earthquake 7.9. 24, Savage Man, Savage Beast. 23, Kung Fu Punch of Death. 22, Carry On Emmanuel. 21, The Violent Professionals. 20, The Dirty Two. 19, Sinai Commandos. Number 18, The Children. Number 17, Shark Hunter. Number 16, 077, Mission Bloody Mary. Number 15, Three Superman vs. The Godfather. Number 14, Go Kill and Come Back, a.k.a. Any Gun Can Play. Number 13, Renegade. Number 12, High School Hitchhikers. Number 11, The Executioner, Part 2. Number 10, The Poseidon Explosion. Number 9, Three Tough Guys. Number 8, Raw Force. Number 7, Number 1 of the Secret Service. Number 6, Confessions of a Police Captain. Number 5, Return of the Tiger. Number 4, Highway Racer. Number 3, Demon Witch Child. Number 2, Blazing Magnum. And number 1, Mean Frank and Crazy Tony, which is still the best film between both collections. Another thing I want to address is if there's a Volume 3 of the Grindhouse Experience. Well, no. At least not in the searching I've conducted. There is a collection called the Spaghetti Western Bible, which is a bit of a misnomer since the first volume features some westerns, but mostly the solo films of Spencer and Hill, as well as knockoff teams like Smith and Colby, in addition to the odd pairing of Richard Harrison and Donald O'Brien. Many of them are on Amazon Prime, so there's no sense in me spending money for this collection. Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode. If you enjoy this content and want to see the program grow, a one-time donation via PayPal would be greatly appreciated. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can send me questions via Gmail. All the info is in the description below. The next episode will be ready for Halloween, uh, which will either be on Wednesday the 30th or Thursday the 31st. I'll be exploring the films of my favorite monster of the Universal Studios, The Invisible Man. Until then, this is Mackenzie Lambert from Making the Movies. Take care, folks. Mm -hmm.